welcome to episode 109 of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. The autumn colour has officially arrived, at least if we chase it about a bit. Today we're going to look through some of my shots from a recent trip to Shigakogen, a highland plateau in the Nagano Prefecture, northwest of Tokyo. I visited this location at least, uh, you know, twice last year too, uh, which I spoke about in episodes 58 and 59 of this podcast. This year was another adventure with me again deciding to drive at night to get to a popular vantage point uh, early enough to actually get a parking space. Uh, this time we, uh, we actually booked the following two nights in a nice little hotel too and made a bit of a break out of it. So let's just sit down and talk about my experiences over the three days. Well, it was a bit of a rushed plan again. The colour of the leaves on the trees was starting to change a few weeks later than usual because of the unseasonably warm September that we had here in Japan. On Wednesday the 10th of October though, things were starting to turn around and the weather was looking up a little bit. Uh, so I called a small hotel in the Shigakogen area and booked a room for Thursday and Friday night to give me some time to really sort of work the area. The hotel was a really nice uh, family-run hotel called Green. I'll put a link to their website in the show notes, but it's in Japanese, so uh, maybe it won't be much help to, to many of you. To be honest, uh, the visit was uh, a little early, though. I was keeping my eyes on the, on the, the leaves, the websites that show you sort of what things are like out there, uh, but the yellow-coloured leaves were not really there yet in the lower parts of the plateau. Uh, the urushi, though, which is uh, the small bushes um, that they uh, they take the, the Japanese lacquer from, uh, this was in really sort of beautiful bright red and orange colours, and it was looking great. I would like to go back again right now, to be honest, and... Uh, you know, with a, it's a couple of weeks since I was there, uh, but it's a four-hour drive, and I'm a little bit busy in the day job, so I'm not going to get away in the week. And a few things that I've got planned over the next weekend are probably going to prevent me from getting back at the best time. Um, but you know, there are there are other things, um, other times. You know, next year is always going to be there unless something uh, catastrophic happens. So uh, I'll I'll just save this. I think this particular location for another visit next year. I hit the road this time at about 9.20pm on the Wednesday night and was uh, heading for the uh, Shibutoge, uh, which is basically a mountain pass uh, that I mentioned last year too. After a steady sort of four-hour drive, we pulled up into a small, maybe, I don't know, maybe a 10-car lay-by at the side of the mountain, and, and that was at around 1.30am. I was relieved to find that there were still a couple of parking spaces left, but even um, you know, it, even though it's almost at freezing point, um, the crazy photographers, of which I'm, I'm pleased to say I'm one, um, were already there. There was a couple of spaces left, and this is like 1 a.m., 1.30 a.m. in the morning. So uh, anyway, I pulled up, and the 
you know, well, last year actually, I suppose I suppose I should mention as well. I, I pulled up there at four a.m. that time, uh, having driven. I think it was no, maybe a little bit later. I forget. Uh, but then, um, you know, the best part, the the place that has the best vantage point, um, was all sort of full up. There was people. All of the cars were already there, and uh, I ended up having to park some way down the road, and. Um, this uh, now it was pretty cool. By the time the sun came up uh, and I could see, uh, there must have been uh, maybe a, a few hundred, maybe up to even a thousand people, sort of all standing along the side of this uh, mountain. So it was a pretty crazy experience to to get into. Uh, that was a Saturday, though, if I if I recall, or a Sunday. I think I might I went on a sun Saturday night um, and stayed there on the Sunday. So I, I think that's right. I need to check. But anyway, it was pretty crazy. Um, it was a weekday this time, so I didn't expect it to be that bad. But even at one thirty a.m., I was sort of I was one of the last few open uh, free parking spaces. I was su- surprised to find this year when I pulled up as well that there were there was like a line of unmanned tripods just sort of lined up along the guardrail at the side of the road, you know, along the edge of the parking area. Uh, not wanting to be left out, I took the Acrotec Ultimate ball head off my Manfrotto uh, tripod and placed it in front of my car, uh, just right there against the guard ra- guardrail. Um, my car seats actually fold down to like an all-flat configuration, one of the reasons that I bought this car. So me and the better half sort of set about the task of, uh, of flattening things down and uh, was really just going to try and get some sleep. It was a pretty futile attempt though as people were sort of pulling up and scuffling around outside the whole time uh, just after 3 a.m i wiped the condensation off the the car window and looked up at the clearest most beautiful starry sky that i've ever seen this of course uh, sparked the photographer in me so i decided to get up and uh, after maybe around 30 minutes sleep or so uh, i started to try my hand at astrophotography I'd remembered some of the settings and configurations on the MVP forum that uh, you know people have, have mentioned in the past, and I sort of said about the task. Um, then I'd, I'd made, I think, maybe 10 minutes um, into my first exposure, and a real thick mist sort of rolled in. Uh, probably just the clouds rolled over the top and uh, pretty much ruined that attempt. After that, I decided to see what I could capture with the 600mm f4 with a 1.4 times extender. The, the mist was coming in um, often enough that I, it was not going to allow me to do any long exposures with the star trails. This was pretty cool though to look at the you know look at the sky through the uh, well basically what will it be 120mm lens, uh, 820mm lens I should say. Um, and you know, I managed to track down the uh, the Orion Nebula, uh, and it was just about possible to make out some color with uh, the naked eye. And then I tried to make some images, and the color came out uh, much stronger than I'd expected. Uh, the problem is that at 120 millimeters, the stars—I just said it again—820 millimeters, the stars move so fast that it was not possible to get a sharp image. Uh, even when I sort of cranked the ISO up to 1600. It was nice to play around with this though, and uh, you know, it really sort of took me back to when I was 11 years old and had a nice little telescope, and I used to spend hours looking through that. Uh, 
Orion was my favorite uh, place to to explore then too. So it was it was nice to sort of catch up with what really felt like an old friend. By the time I'd done playing around looking at the stars during the gaps, uh, you know, between the the mist rolling in and then going out again. It was just after 4 a.m. Uh, the sun was set to rise at around 5.40 a.m. But there were so many people wandering around, even at sort of 4 a.m., that I decided to just stake my place at the barrier and, and wait it out. I'd been, well, I'd been using the uh, the 600mm, so I'd I'd got the Jitso tripod set up uh, with the 600mm on that, and the Manfrotto on the other side, so I was I was basically just sort of ready there, and I wanted to keep my eye on that as well, um, rather than just pack it all away and then get it out again a little bit later. Um, the thing was that I'd I'd taken the 600mm along with me, not really for the stars, but because I was hoping to pick out a few parts of the valley below as the sun came up and, and illuminated everything, so it was really just a good idea to leave it all set up and hang out, uh, waiting around for things to start to heat up. Um, not the most pleasant tasks, and I guess saying heat up was uh, was wishful thinking because it was about three degrees Celsius or thirty seven degrees Fahrenheit uh, standing on the side of the mountain. Um, I mentioned this last year as well, but it's there's actually a like a a, um, a stone monument sort of thing there with a plaque on it that says that this is the highest point of any road in Japan. It's um, I think it was just over two thousand meters, two thousand one hundred and thirty meters, something like that. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, high place to be standing um, at this time of the year. Uh, so almost at freezing point. The um, clouds last year as well had sort of had filled the valley and stopped me from getting the the sun um, at the sunrise. You know, as it hit the horizon. Uh, but my main objective was to shoot the valley below, not uh, to shoot the, the sun on the horizon. So this wasn't really a problem. I started to shoot as the light from the sky illuminated the valley and made a few shots of the trees on the edge of the clouds, some uh, later ones that uh, we'll look at later. Um, but then after around 6 a.m., the sun broke over the top of the cloud, so it had been up in the it had been over the horizon for twenty minutes when it made its way over the top of the clouds in the valley, and it was pretty nice. Uh, so you know, just quickly look at image number one five six eight, which was shot literally one second after six a.m., a few moments after the entire sun's disk became visible. Here we can see the sun shot through my 600mm f4 lens at ISO 100 for one eight thousandth of a second at f8. This is the fastest shutter speed that the 5D will give me, so I'd started to stop down the aperture to keep the clouds from blowing out too much. Of course, with this much light, it would look more unnatural to not have anything blown out. Of course, the sun's disk is blown out too, but that's par for the course, really. Having a lot of fun in these uh, first few hours, I did continue to play around with the, um, you know, I got a few images, one of just the sun's disc, uh, where the sun was not very blown out, I'd actually, I, I, I didn't, just, I won't check the settings right now, but I, I'd sort of changed the settings a bit, and taken a quite dark shot, and it was pretty cool to see the, you know, to look at the sun at 100%, uh, but as a photograph, it didn't really warrant uploading to my online gallery. In this uh, 
this one though that we're looking at now it was, I was pretty pleased with the formation of the clouds and just thought it was a fun shot to upload and share with you today I probably should just quickly mention because I know somebody's going to um, going to mail me about this um, yes it's dangerous to look at the sun through a, a highly magnified lens through, through any lens I guess um, so don't do this at home children <laughs> um, without being too patronizing uh, trying to be uh, serious here that we you know it is it is dangerous to look directly at the sun you can leave you can sort of burn uh, your retina I can almost hear some people in the forum now uh, screaming and shouting about this um, they're my eyes it's, you know it's my risk and I, I do sort of do this sometimes uh, but it, if you're at the least in the least bit worried I, I would try not to do this um, uh, what I generally tend to do is look through for no more than a few seconds at a time and then sort of take my eyes away from the finder as I'm actually making the exposure and things but you know it's uh, it, it's a risk that I take and I haven't had any problems so far uh, but like I say don't try this at home um, especially if you want to sort of mail me later and say that you've got some green blotches on your eyes through <laughs> staring at the sun for 30 seconds uh, so anyway in the next shot, which is image number 1571, we can see one of the images shot with the 600mm looking down into the valley. This is what I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, a short while ago, where the edge of the clouds sort of meets the, uh, the trees on the side of the mountain um, with the mist there in the valley. I love this sort of shot where the mist forms distinct uh, layers of contrast between the trees. I can count sort of roughly six layers in this shot where the trees drop down into the, you know back into the mist being distinctly sort of less visible as as they get further back. We can see that the autumn color was coming in pretty well at this location but I would have uh, been better maybe five days or so later um, on the whole I think. The timing of this location is uh, incredibly difficult. The, the good thing here, though, is that because we have uh, you know the the steep sides of the mountain, then you know we have multiple stages of color due to the the uh, various levels of altitude visible from this location. Still, with ISO 100 and an aperture of f/8 to get a little bit of depth of field uh, this time, I I, I had. Uh, to increase the shutter speed to what was it one thirtieth of a second, um, and really now that was that was just going to get me the right exposure for this time. I was shooting manual mode as, as, as usual. This one is really one of my favourites from the trip, though. And by this time, I was starting to feel happy about having driven here overnight and sleeping uh, just thirty minutes before starting my day. In the next image, number 1576, we have an image closer to the other end of the focal length range with a 35mm shot of the valley that I was looking down into. This one, uh, shot for 1 80th of a second at f8, really shows the grandeur of the location. I have metered for the greenery and again lost some de detail in the sea of clouds uh, but really, again, not too worried about that. I did shoot five frames, um, bracketed frames at this of this very scene, uh, which I tried some HDR with. But as I viewed the results, it looked great uh, initially, but as I reviewed the, the results close up, I noticed that the software had not done a good job of aligning the, the trees, you know, the branches of the trees, 
and the leaves in what looks like grass here. It's actually lots of leaves. Um, it there, there was lots of sort of fuzziness in there. And, you know, I was thinking that although it looked it would have looked great for the web, um, as I actually sort of sell prints from the from the website as well, I wouldn't really have been able to have sold that as a fine art print. So I went back to this single cut. This was one of the five, um, but it was the one that sort of had got the best sort of tone tonal range and everything from the from the batch. We can see the edge of the clouds here that I'd singled out um, a portion of for the last image. And as the line of clouds moves up and down the mountain, I was uh, faced with a number of similar scenes, which I had sort of kept shooting for a while. I had the 600mm on one tripod and was switching between that and the uh, the 700, the 7 to 200, 70 to 200 millimeter uh, on the other tripod, and then also switching that out with the 16 to 35 um, from time to time to to sort of get some more wider angle stuff. I was really wishing that I had two bodies at this point. Um, using two tripods but only one body was not ideal, uh, but I only have the the 5D at the moment, so it wasn't possible to to use two. In image number 1581, we can see that I've headed back down the mountain uh, by 8am and was now shooting at the Ichinuma Pond, or the number one pond, uh, which we'd also looked at last year. This is a beautiful spot at this time of year, and this is one of my favourite images from that first morning. The colours were great, but the angle of the sun here... Um, was still low enough in the in the sky and around the back sort of you know to the side of these trees so there was various levels of light hitting the different areas of the scene which i find quite appealing of course the the thing that uh, makes this shot even better is the reflection of the trees in the surface of the pond i'm also happy with the position of that bright brightly lit bush in the far left um, holding our eye in the frame and my favourite part of this location is, um, you know, in general, is that the silver birches or the white birch trees um, that add contrast and interest to the scene. I shot this uh, particular image with an aperture of f11 for one twentieth of a second uh, with ISO 100. I wanted to get as much of the trees, uh, though, in the foreground um, in focus, so I had stopped down a little bit, you know, I, I say in the foreground, from through the, you know, the trees in the foreground to through to the background, I should say. Um, so I'd, I'd stopped down a little bit to f11. Um, I try not to go much smaller than f11 though, and when possible sort of stick to f8 because it's just so sharp. It often makes uh, makes up for the slightly shall shallower depth of field, I think, um, especially when shooting from a distance like I was here. My better half was uh, sleeping in the car th at this time, and uh, you know the 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 other shots that I uploaded from around the same time, and not long after this, uh, were, were all sort of done with uh, with just me wandering around a little bit in a daze through lack of sleep. Uh, so I went back to the car, um, drove around the corner and sort of parked into a, moved into a large car park, um, the back of a large car park actually under some similarly coloured trees and just sort of reclined the seats a bit, um, staring out at the beautiful trees, just got myself a few hours sleep. 
um the the light was starting to get pretty harsh by this time as well so it wasn't really any big loss and there was a few hours before we could check into the hotel anyway so caught up on a little bit of sleep there and then uh, really just spent much of the rest of the day having uh, checked in at noon um just sort of driving around the mountain and uh, you know shooting here and there whole bunch of uh, of shots uploaded uh, from this time on into the online uh, gallery and I'm going to put a link into the show notes that will show all of them if you're interested in looking um, a little bit more. Having gone to a certain place uh, later in the afternoon hoping to catch that in the last hours or so of the daylight, the clouds rolled in again. Um, happens a lot here, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but pretty much um, engulfed the mountain, so it was not going to happen on that day. So there wasn't a lot else towards the end of the day uh, that I uploaded. Uh, but then when we went back to the hotel and just sort of started to think about relaxing and thinking about catching up with a little bit more sleep before dinner, uh, the missus looked uh, out of the window and saw some Japanese macaques rummaging around in the long grass at the side of the hotel. Uh, never wanting to waste a photo opportunity, um, the, the sleepiness sort of flew away somewhere and I put the 1.4 times extender on the 70 to 200 millimeter f 2.8 lens and had headed outside and this is where I shot image number 1584 this isn't really a great image there's lots of grain uh, from using ISO 1250 um, as we we were sort of well into twilight at this point but uh, I you know I like the feel of the monkey sort of sitting there in the long grass and the, the bokeh sort of turned out quite nice too. So I decided to upload it. Uh, the macaque seemingly has its eyes fixed on something in the, in the grass uh, for just a moment. The next frame of this series was actually the monkey stripping seeds off the grass with its teeth, looking pretty fierce. Uh, but I chose to go with this one. It's just overall more pleasing. I was surprised to see that the group of, of macaques was around 30 to 40 strong and they were sort of in the grass at the side of the hotel and down the road into the valley um, not far, maybe only, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 meters of elevation um, where I was standing um, but you know, down there then we have the ski lifts uh, there's a ski ground on the opposite side of the, the valley from where we, from the hotel and I was sort of enjoying photographing them myself, but the locals were definitely, um, you know, they'd had their fill. Uh, one guy came out of a shop with a big stick and started waving it around, scaring the monkeys away. Another guy um, actually drove a car at the group, um, obviously trying to hit them, which I found a little bit disturbing. Uh, they they can be a bit of a pest, but I can never help thinking about, you know, who was here first. We, you know, humans have in, encroached into the monkey's environment, so I'd prefer to see a little bit more patience, but then again, you know, I don't live here, so I probably shouldn't comment. Uh, one thing that I will go on to say, though, is that, um, you know, you have to be a little bit careful uh, with these, these uh, macaques these days. They are powerful creatures, especially the large males, and they've turned quite nasty in recent years uh, because people have stopped feeding them. You used to be able to sort of buy food for them in these touristy areas, and people used to, you know, they'd, they'd buy a bag of this food, feed them, 
or just feed them anything on hand, you know, some, um, you know, I was going to say crisps from the UK, but I guess potato chips for the US listeners. Um, so, you know, you can, you know, anything that you have on hand, people used to feed them. Um, a lot like uh, a similar sort of feeling, really, to feeding the pigeons, I guess. Uh, but the macaque became pretty um, reliant on this and stopped going back into the mountains in many places. And they'd hang around in towns and then get a little bit cheeky and snatch food from people um, and scare the kids, etc. And to really force them back to a more natural way of living, uh, the general tendency now is not to feed them. It's it's banned in, in most places that I can think of. And this has really confused the macaque. You know, they for years humans have given them all sorts of goodies and made a fuss of them, and now because they're not allowed to feed them, they sort of turn the other way, um, and you know ignore them really, and this is frustrating the hell out of them. So there are now there's new stories of how vicious the macaque are becoming in certain towns, and you know the this sort of semi humorous footage of the monkeys going into stores and stealing sweets from the. Uh, you know, from the stores, and it's the very sweets that people were were feeding them for so many years. And I've actually seen this firsthand in an, uh, a number of times in the area of Nikko, um, which we've we visited on this podcast a few times. And I really just can't help thinking that these guys have been given a bit of a bum deal by us humans again. And uh, but you know, I mean, that's the same old story, I guess. So you know, I'm. I'm looking at the timer on my audio recording software right now, and we've just about to hit the 26-minute mark. Um, I had planned to do this in one uh, fell swoop, but I, I've got a fair amount to look at still. We've got uh, five more shots that I'm planning right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break this off here, and we'll do the ending, um, and then I'll record um, a second part that I'll either uh, I'll probably release next week now. Um, I don't really want to go on for maybe what will be like an hour um, just in one fell swoop. So uh, let's let's call it a day for now and um, we'll catch up again next week. So like I say, we'll make that it for today. Um, I The reason I want to just really quickly apologize for the uh, the podcast being a little bit late again this week as it has been in recent weeks um, I've been taking on lots of little uh, projects and uh, you know in addition to sort of being busy in my day job but I'm uh, this week what I've been doing is putting together a short essay for a web magazine that's approached me recently um, and I wanted to mention before we finish that the plan is to release a, a PDF on this podcast um, in the next few weeks. If um, I've, I've done a little bit of uh, customization, and if all that goes well, uh, the feed uh, should just really house a, a PDF file instead of a, an audio file um, at some time. It'll probably be the week after next now. Um, so when that happens, um, you know, don't be don't be too worried. Uh, it's not a mistake. I just want to give you a sort of a heads up here and let you know that it's that it's going to happen. Um, what I'm going to probably do is also pretty much read out the document. Um, it's uh, 15 pages with all all in, but it's it's about um, maybe there's I don't know, 10 10 to 12 pages in there that you that you really want that's actual text. Um, so I'll read that out and probably all the key points to that. 
and probably make that into an audio podcast as well. Um, just because I know that a lot of you actually, uh, you know, you you listen to the podcast and you don't really, you know, that your ha- your listening habits are not going to be uh, too conducive to sort of reading a 15-page document. So, um, you know, most of the most of you listen during your commutes or uh, you know at work and things like that. I hear so. I'll probably record it as well, but uh, they'll be they'll both both be released at the same time. It'll be like uh, probably episode 111.1 and 111.2 or something like that. And um, basically, you know, it's, it's a nice little document. I made it in Microsoft Word and then exported it as a PDF. Um, I don't have Acrobat, so it's not a a proper PDF, a really sort of um, fully fledged PDF file, but. You'll need the Acrobat or the Adobe Reader for that uh, to, to be able to read it. And it'll just be downloadable through uh, iTunes or directly from the website as usual. Uh, remember that the Hokkaido workshop is, uh, is planned for uh, the end of January, beginning of February next year. So if you're interested in that, please do go over to www.mbpworkshops.com and uh, take a look at the details there. Uh, But that's about it for today. So I guess all that remains to be said is thanks very much for listening. And uh, we'll continue this, uh, this, what's now a two-part series, next week. So thanks very much. Bye-bye. Photocastnetwork.com, your photography resource in the potosphere. Photocastnetwork.com